I had a fascinating experience just this week. I had the opportunity to attend a PGA golf tournament. Now I watch golf on TV just like the rest of you when I need a nap. And this was a really unique experience, though. A lot of you know that Julie's family is in the poultry business in Mississippi, and they're connected to this tournament that's hosted in Jackson, Mississippi this week. And because I was with Julie and her family is connected and involved in this tournament, we, we got to go into kind of the, the tent there that's on the 18th green. And, and you watch the approach of the golfers as they make their way in. And, and it's an awesome, awesome spot to watch golf. It, it's awesome for a number of reasons. You've got a, just a straight line view of the golfer's last approach shot onto the green. You watch the ball. Watch where it lands. It's incredible. And it's unlimited open buffet. I mean, just free food all, I mean, free to me, free food all day long. Chicken wings, brownies, cookies, turkey wraps, Gatorade, bottled water, whatever your little heart desires. They just keep it coming like on a conveyor belt. It is glorious. Unbelievable. Well, we've been in the... This tent, they, they refer to it as the chalet. We'd been in the chalet for several hours, and Julie's older sister came over, and she goes, you're not going to believe this. And she mentioned a name that they've known as a family for a long, long time. Guy's my age. We're not talking about a 12-year-old here. He came into the chalet, and he called Julie's sister over, and he said, hey, don't tell anybody, but I'm using my pass from three years ago to get in here. <laughs> and then he made his way over to the open buffet. Now, and I thought about that a while after that. I thought, we're not talking about like a 10-year-old who's sneaking into the movies. This is a 50-year-old, full-grown man who, by the way, has children. He's responsible for rearing the next generation in integrity and honor. I weep for the future. Now, it may seem like I'm blowing this up out of proportion, and I'm not. I want you to think about just how desperate you'd have to be as a grown-up, a grown-up, everybody say grown-up, as a grown-up to be in the chalet. Don't you know, if I called his name out, you could go find his pictures on Facebook right now. Probably all day. I mean, just living it up in the chalet. And I thought... What a perfect picture. What a, what a great way for us as a church family to launch this series, The Trust Protocol. Because we all understand what that feels like. We, we know what it's like to want to be on the inside, but maybe sometimes we don't always make it behind the velvet rope. And, and I can tell you this story because I had nothing to do with the fact that I was in the chalet. I, I didn't earn anything. I didn't spend one second volunteering at the tournament. I didn't raise a dime that's going to the Children's Hospital of Jackson, Mississippi. I just got to go because I'm married to Julie. Hallelujah. That's it. But the trouble that this guy went to to sneak into the chalet. Now, the food's good. I'll be honest with you. It's good. But I mean, it's not like he was sneaking into Ruth's Chris. There was something about being in the inside that 
matters so much to this guy that he went to such exorbitant lengths to sneak in. You know, it's really interesting to me how desperately we need trust in our world today. How desperately we need it in our communities. Whether our community is a husband and wife, or a church, or a business, or a country, we desperately need trust. And that's really the heartbeat behind this series that we're kicking off today that's based on the book that we're dropping and releasing today, The Trust Protocol, that is coming out November the 7th. But as friends and family of Lake Hills Church, we get to experience this together because this book, like everything that we're about as a church family, is all about furthering and perpetuating and feeding the fire of our calling as a church to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. And I will tell you that at 51 years old and the better part of 30 years of ministry, I have never in my life seen anybody join the family of faith solely because they got argued into being a believer. I've never seen anybody be guilted into being a believer. I've seen a lot of people, matter of fact, a lot of people in this room, come into a relationship with Christ and watch that infuse every part of their life with meaning and purpose, specifically because somebody they trusted chose to reach out to them and share with them the amazing grace of God. I've seen that happen thousands of times. And it's an amazing principle. It's an amazing practice that we get to be a part of. Now, some people will, will pick up this book and they'll read it, hopefully and prayerfully, cover to cover. But you, the church family of Lake Hills Church, you are the trust protocol. This is where this book originated. It didn't start in my mind or somebody else's that I stole an idea from. This started with you. You have been people of the protocol for as long as I've known you. You live this out week in and week out. And so that's why I'm so excited to share this with you and then to watch what God does with it radiating out from this place. You know, it's really interesting to me. But one of the perks that I have as a pastor is the broad array of people that I get to deal with and come in contact with on a regular basis. And I started thinking about this as we were preparing for this weekend and just in the last three weeks, I started thinking about some of the people that I've gotten to have a conversation with, that, I, that I've actually talked to personally and interacted with. And it's been crazy, the diversity and the range of people just that I know. See if this doesn't resonate with you. Just in the last two or three weeks, I have had the opportunity to talk to a bulldozer operator. I've talked to a fishing guide, a godly profession. I've talked to... An attorney, I've talked to a mom. I've talked to a tech CEO. I've talked to a tech entrepreneur CEO wannabe. I've talked to a welder. I've talked to a teacher. I've had an opportunity to have a cup of coffee with a financial advisor who advises other people. He's a member of our church and a friend of mine. He doesn't advise me financially, but he advises other people who make lots of money. And it's been fascinating to, to just kind of consider this kaleidoscopic range of people that I've had the opportunity to talk to. 
I mean, you name a profession, and it's probably represented, and I'm sure in your own experiences, you go from day to day, you have a similar list and array of people that you come in contact with. But I noticed something as I was going down that list. As wide-ranging as those people and their professions are, there is one unifying thread that runs through every single one of their lives, every single one of their, their careers and their chosen professions. And that is the fact that no matter where you are or no matter what you do, we are all in the people business. We're all in the people business. There is no part of our lives that isn't made better if we can't get better at the people business. I want you to look at your neighbor with passion and enthusiasm and tell him, you're in the people business, cuz. You are. Now you may be thinking, well, Mac, I, I don't even have a job. If you're a stay-at-home mom, listen, you're in the people business. You may think to yourself, man, I'm in the poop business. No, you're in the people business. Because if you don't change that dirty diaper, then the rest of the world's going to know about it at some point. But also, as you do your job, no matter how mundane, how trivial it may seem, at some level, you're creating a relationship and a bond with that little blob of humanity, and they're learning they can trust you. They're learning what that looks like. Now, the title of the book, The Trust Protocol, was a long time in coming. I, I had no idea when I sat down to write this book that coming up with a title is one of the hardest parts of writing a book. To come up with just a few, few words that communicate and convey what the book is about, but also resonate with people in a way that causes them to say, hey, I'd like to read that. I'd like to pick it up or maybe give it as a gift to four or 500 of my closest friends. There's something really challenging about that. And I realized that it's really an expression of who we are as a church, what we've been about as a church family for 20 plus years. If you've got your Bibles with you, look in Hebrews chapter 10. If you've been around here any amount of time at all, you know that Hebrews 10, 24 is a pillar passage of scripture for us. It's an anchor verse in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, of course, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider, let's be deliberate and intentional about how we can spur, how we can encourage, how we can exhort, how we can challenge one another to be people of love and to back it up with our actions, to be people of good deeds. That, that's, that's really a, a great reminder for any Christ follower, but you and I know, of course, that we use that as, as kind of a paradigm and a pattern for everything that we're about, particularly as it relates to leadership, as it relates to, to parenthood, as it relates to church, as it relates to work, as it relates to school, as it relates to life, everything in the Christian faith. This is our calling. This is our challenge, our commandment from God himself. And it's important, I think, for us to understand what that is really and truly all about. But as the family of faith, I think it's even more important that we understand the backstory. 
kind of the, the story behind the story of Hebrews 10, 24, and understand why that's in there so that we can then be people of the protocol, uh, of the trust protocol, encouraging, spurring one another toward love and good deeds in every single relationship that we have. Trust is one of those things that I think all of us inherently get. We, we understand our need to trust, our need to be trusted and to connect with other people of trust. This week, I want you to try something that, that I think is really, really interesting. I, I started doing this a few months ago. If it comes up in conversation, if you ever talk to somebody about trust, somebody at work or if you're at lunch with somebody and the subject comes up, Ask somebody if they know what it feels like to be betrayed. Watch their eyes. Almost every single person I have ever asked that question of does this. <laughs> yeah, been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. Thank you so much. I mean, everybody who's been alive understands what that feels like. And we're going to talk about betrayal, specifically how to process through and beyond betrayal next weekend. But it's that need for trust that makes betrayal so painful. It's that innate, God-given thing inside of us that wants relationships of trust, that, that wants people around us that we can believe in, that their, their walk is going to match their talk. And when we talk about the trust protocol, I like the word protocol. Protocol is a great word. It makes me think of Jason Bourne. How many of you like the Bourne movies? I love them. So happy Matt Damon's back. I thought Jeremy Renner was great, but come on, Matt Damon? Dude, on a motorcycle, there's nobody like Matt Damon. Anyway, I love protocol because protocol is kind of one of those words like, hmm. Protocol just means a, a practice. It's a process that you go through. If A, then B. And it can apply to spycraft like Jason Bourne or you know, Saul on Homeland as he's walking through the European town center and the man has the red carnation in his pocket, mission is on. But it can also be a medical protocol, a scientific protocol that shows us how to do this, how to bring this desired outcome to be. And, and the trust protocol is really very, very simple to understand in concept. That's not to say that it's easy to practice, but it's very, very simple. The trust protocol is simply this. It is forging credibility through integrity and action. Forging credibility through integrity and action. I love the word integrity. And most of us, when we think of the word integrity, we think of telling the truth, not lying and honoring a contract. And those things are all true. But that's actually just a very small fragment of what the word integrity really means. Now, if you've been around here any amount of time at all, you know that I was a communications major. I, accounting is the very reason that I became a communications major. I'm a word guy. I'm not a numbers guy. Nothing wrong with that, but that's just not my bag. But one thing I remember from math is the word integer. Remember the word integer? An integer is a whole number. Well, we get the same word integrity that gives us the word integer. Integrity means wholeness. It means completeness. So to be a person, a man or a woman, a student of integrity, means that you are whole and complete. 
That means that you're the same person on Sunday morning as you are on Friday night. Somebody help me preach. I'm just saying, you're the same all the time. People ask Julie frequently, like if they run into her and I'm not around, if she's at the grocery store, like, hey, what, what is Mac really like? I know Sunday morning, but what's he really like? And she's like, I don't know what to tell you, but it's the same all the time. He's the same at home. He's as likely to break into song about feeding the dogs as he is when he's breaking into song in a sermon. That, that's just kind of how he rolls. And the fact of the matter is, I, I have my moments, of course. I have down times. I've, you know, there was, there was that one time I made a mistake as a husband about 18 years ago. I remember that vividly. But this is only me I know how to be. This is it. Good, bad, and ugly. My goal, my prayer is to be a man of integrity, to be the same on Sunday morning as I am throughout the rest of the week. And to be a person of integrity goes to the very core of who we are when nobody else is around, when nobody's looking. But, everybody say but. But But we back that up with our actions, with our words, with our lives. Our walk matches our talk. And we, in that integrity and action, we forge a credibility that people go, you know what? When she tells me something, I know it's true. I know her yes is yes. I know his no is no. That's what it means to be a practitioner of the protocol, to put it into effect. But again, why? Why is that? Emily, our daughter, had an interesting experience a few weeks back. She was in a group of women with Julie, and they were talking about parenting. And this woman asked Emily, she said, Emily, you know, your mom talks about parenting and trust in a family or whatever. How did you know that you could trust your parents? Now, can I just take a time out from the story, the illustration for just a second? This is a frightening moment as a parent. You know, because when, this, this is like a final exam. This, Emily's graduated college. She can say whatever she wants to say at this point. She's not getting an allowance from me anymore. And Julie, I mean, she's, it's like... Be kind. You know, you just kind of hold your breath. But she said something so interesting. She said, you know, the first time I remember realizing that I trusted my mom and dad, the first time I was aware of it, when we used to play basketball with my dad, even as young kids, he never let us win. And I knew I could trust him. Julie told me this story later on. I went, That's just because I'm hyper-competitive. I think that is so fascinating that she got trust out of that. And she said, no, what I learned was that you wouldn't even fake letting me win a game of horse. So I knew that if I ever did win, (laughs) if I ever did win, then it would be real. I don't know that there's a more important eternally significant realm for trust to be practiced than in the home. Trust between a husband and a wife. Trust between parents and children. Trust that then radiates out of that 
nuclear family. And, and then it begins to kind of infuse classrooms where those kids go to school every day. Then it begins to infuse the church that they're, that they're a part of or the neighborhood or maybe even the city. And, and if the kids go far enough and, and use enough of their gifts and talents, when, when mom and dad are nowhere around, they become practitioners of the protocol and, and they're people of integrity. They're, they're people that, that live their lives at a level where their walk matches their talk and the world learns it is possible to be able to trust people. The Edelman Group is a public relations firm that's been around for decades and decades. They, they help major corporations with their branding. They, they help individuals who, who get into trouble in a, in a public relations kind of way. They have a, a spot on their website just for crisis management. You never want to have to call them for that reason. But every year, the Edelman Group does a survey of a wide range of Americans and they survey Americans to see how much they trust four different groups. Groups in government, in business, in media, and in non-government organizations, NGOs, nonprofits. And it's interesting, over the course of this Edelman Trust Barometer that they publish every year, some groups rise one year while other groups fall and vice versa, but this year, 2017, is the first time in the history of the Edelman Trust Barometer that all four major indices of trust fell. Every single institution that they measure trust in declined in 2017. Now, at first blush, this would be like, oh man, that's ooh, tough times, bad, ooh. But what if... What if this was our great opportunity? What if this is our massive opportunity as people of faith to push the cause of Christ forward in how we cultivate trust in every relationship with people that maybe would never darken the doors of a Sunday morning? How many of you know somebody right now that if you invited them to church this week, they'd be like, yeah, no. Do you know somebody like that? Let me just see a show of hands. If you work with them, maybe you live with them. We all have those people in our lives, I hope. Hopefully, you don't just hang out with Christians. I mean, we're wonderful, but we got work to do, folks. Trust is the ultimate bridge that we get to build into the lives of people who are far from God and don't yet realize how extravagantly he loves them. The trust protocol is our greatest opportunity. And right now, when trust is so depleted in our culture, in our institutions, the people of faith, the people of Christ, the army that is the church, gets to be a voice of hope and trust and light in a world. We are that city on a hill that nobody can hide. But we got to be people of trust if we're ever going to forge that kind of credibility with them. And we've got to be able to communicate in a way that resonates with them where they are right now. Now, just, just very briefly, I think, you know, this, this idea of the trust protocol and to spur one another to love and good deeds, like, yeah, man, we need that. Edelman, that's right. Yeah. But it's imperative that we understand why. Just, just like a parent who tells a child what to do or what not to do, 
that child's going to be able to internalize that a lot quicker if we'll also explain why. And as children of God, God has told us why we're to spur one another to love and good deeds. In the verses that immediately precede Hebrews 10, 24, look at what the Bible says. In verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, or or a door that's opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, Hebrews is a fascinating book of the Bible. Scholars have never been able to really, really determine the author of Hebrews. You know, a lot of the New Testament, over two-thirds of the New Testament, we know, came from the pen of Paul. Paul Paul made sure that you knew it. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus. Like, there's no doubt about that. Hebrews doesn't afford us that same thing. But we do know that it was written to an audience of first-century Jews who were followers of Jesus. But from time to time, even though they they had accepted Christ as their own, they they still sometimes kind of, they were drawn back. To, to their old habits of, of religion and, and ritual that they had grown up with, and, and they were drawn back to it. And the author of Hebrews, whoever it was, is reminding them over and over again, hey, hey, remember, Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. Jesus has opened this new way. So that's what's being referenced here in verses 19 through 23. He says, we've got this new way that's been opened to God for the original audience, the, the temple was where the presence of God resided, specifically in an area deep within the temple referred to as the Holy of Holies. It was the the inner sanctum, literally, of the temple. And, And that was so holy, it was so revered and honored that it was only opened one day a year by one person. The high priest of Israel would go behind this great thick curtain that was like 30 feet tall and would part the curtain and enter into the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice, an animal, a bull, to atone for the sins of Israel. One day a year, it was so holy, so sacred. And the author of Hebrews is saying that was how it was done before Jesus, B.C. But now, because of Christ, remember when Jesus died on the cross, that veil, that curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now think about that. 30 feet tall. Just somehow. It just, it just ripped. From top to bottom. Because now the way had been opened. Through Jesus. Jesus is that way. In his body. He created this way. For us to have direct access to God. Through the forgiveness of our sins. Through the atonement that he accomplished. As the perfect sacrifice on the cross and so because of what jesus did now we don't have to try to sneak into the chalet we don't have to forge a pass from somebody else from years past now we have the ultimate real thing the sacrifice that god authorized in order for us to enter 
with confidence and boldness. Not because we're great. Nobody walks into the heavenly throne room of God and says, God, hi, Mac here. (laughs) Just want you to know I'm here. You're welcome. That's a bad idea. We enter the presence of God through Jesus, confident in Jesus, because of what Christ has done for us. When you accept Christ, when you step into a relationship with him, then you are adopted into the family of faith. Then you have been given the pass of forgiveness that transcends any good work you would ever do. You see, a lot of us think that if we're good enough, we'll get to heaven. If we're good enough, God's going to go, you know, all the commandments, all the laws that I really went to a lot of trouble to make sure people got, you broke every one of them, but I tell you what, come on in. Just come on in. As if God is some kind of divine grandparent who lets us get away with whatever we feel like. You see, God's holiness means that he can't lower the standard. Instead, he raised us to his standard of holiness in Christ Jesus. And it's because of Christ now that we know we come into the presence of God. We know because of Christ we have this hope that is in him. And it's because of that hope that's in him now we remember, oh yeah, we got work to do. Hey, let's consider. Let, let's actually think about and strategize. How are we going to spur each other to love and good deeds? What, what is it in your life that's going to be better next week because of Christ? What is it in my life that you're going to encourage me to be better at? I'm going to invite you in to love and good deeds, community and accountability, integrity and action. And we're going to make this thing go. Isn't it fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, chooses to remind them of what Christ did in the cross and the resurrection and immediately, immediately spins that into what it means. What are the implications for the family of faith? That it is never just internal and private. Is it personal? Absolutely. It's always personal and communal. It's family. We are adopted into the family of faith. And so in the name of Jesus, act like it. Step up and live the life he's created you to live. I want to ask you if you would just for a moment bow your heads. And in this moment, I I want to just ask you a really, really simple but pointed question. Have you owned it? Have you owned it? It being what Jesus Christ did for you personally by name on the cross and in his resurrection. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about ritual.
Jesus is talking about relationship. About connecting with him. About trusting him. More than you trust yourself. More than you trust your good works. Trusting Jesus. If you're here today and you want to step into that, you want to begin living like that, you're in the perfect place at the perfect moment to do it. You don't have to pass the test. The Bible says that you begin that relationship by admitting, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he claims to be, the Son of God. Not just in the world, but in your life. And as you do that, you confess your sin, your your tendency to want to run the show of your life, and you invite, you ask him to run the show of your life. You commit your life to him and you actually surrender. You surrender to Jesus. You surrender to Jesus who will never, ever, ever take advantage of that surrender. His character and his heart are such that he can only, he will only bless and honor that surrender. If that's what you want to take hold of today, then you just pray right where you're sitting. Silently talk to God. Just something like this in your own words. He'll hear you. He's he's perfect. He knows your heart already. But just in your own words, say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. I surrender in order to claim the victory you offer, you provide. You are my Lord. I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a brief moment. Because it's a sacred moment. If that was your prayer and you meant it, this is the greatest moment of your life. It's a moment that that God uses to bring you into the family of faith. Is it personal? Yes. And it's communal it's family and so if you just prayed that prayer then I want to ask you to do a couple of things before you leave today just a minute when our service ends there's a connect card that's in your program 
Billy and Keely talked about it in the, the announcements video. But if you would just, right now, just start filling that out. About halfway down, there's a place for you to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. And then once you've completed that, just tear it off at the perforation. It'll take you about 35, maybe 40 seconds to fill that out. And then before you leave, just hand that to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, or to somebody underneath the blue LHC canopy underneath the big porch out front. So that we can help. We want to come alongside and help at whatever pace works for you. But number two, if that was your prayer today, I want to ask you if you would, while our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand up high over your head and hold it there? Just raise it up. As you, there's something that happens when we physically stamp a moment in our minds and in our hearts. We stamp it in the life of this church. You never have to pray that prayer again. Now you just get to begin living in that relationship, growing day by day, decision by decision, in a relationship with God. And as your family of faith, we so honor that. We so celebrate that with you. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. 